we are back once again this is atp around the post episode 162 getting pretty high up there in the numbers now yes it is um things are going great we're feeling great it's your boy jay with mark figaroa in the building how are you feeling man good uh pretty busy week today the um wta final started so it's gonna be uh, mm. good news Man, I forget how quickly they get going. Yes. Um, yeah, a lot to talk about. Where should we start? Are we starting there? Yes, we're going to start with the women before the WTA finals. Congrats to Hadid Maya. She won uh, in uh, Zhuhei. She beat Zhang 7-6, uh, 7-6. Haven't heard a lot from her. Uh, she's been uh, a little injured. Hadid but, Maya? Yeah, Hadid Maya. Yeah. But uh, she won a title. She had a pretty good run at the French Open. And uh, she's back, so congrats to her. So now we're going to get started with the WTA final. But before talking about that, we're going to talk about Coco Goff. Now, Coco Goff was honored by the United States Senate for her U.S. Open victory. Uh, she was in the docket uh, and by the senator of Georgia, uh, the Reverend uh, Warnick. Uh, put her on the docket, and then it was second by Rubio, who is the senator of Florida. So they honored her in the Senate for her U.S. Open victory. What are your thoughts? Uh, great news. Talk to me. How are you feeling about it? It's. I mean, it's good. Uh, the impact that she's made, the fact that uh, she's pretty much the the heir apparent, quote unquote, to the Williams sisters, mm. uh, being young. Uh, all that pressure of winning the title. Yeah. So I think I think it's a good thing. I agree. So uh, also we're gonna talk about her uh, 2023. Mm. So she won her first singles title in Auckland prior to the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Then she won her 100th career WTA win at the Australian Open, and this is all in 2023. Okay. Then she won Washington. For her first WTA 500, hmm. you, you, if you recall, she had a rocking summer. Yeah. Then she won Cincinnati for, mm. for, for her first Masters 1000 <sighs> title. And as you know, she won the U.S. Open. What a year. So in succession, first 500, first 1000, first Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. And she is at the highest ranking of her career at number three in the world. Wow. What are your thoughts on her season? Um. It's everything it was supposed to be, and it's beautiful to see. I think we had this conversation on air at some point where we talked about how she took the long road to the top, and because of how long that road took her to get there, it'll be that much longer before she has to leave there. Um, I expect her to be very consistent with her level, and, I mean, spoiler alert, but watching the way she's been playing uh, the women's finals, she's looking pretty good, you know? <laughs> so uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan, I'm impressed, and... I think that she's she's paid her dues mentally. She's she's had the lows, she's had the lulls, she's had to troubleshoot, she's met expectations and failed, she's dealt with pressure. I I expect a lot. I really do. Yeah, she's a solid uh competitor, so yes, uh, there's a lot on her plate for sure. And as a matter of fact, uh she beat Ange Jabor for her first uh um uh, uh, mass, not Masters 1000, sorry, WTA final. Mm. And she's the first teenager to do it since Venus in 1999. Sheesh. So congrats there. That's a long time ago. Yes, we were not going to get to uh, today until later. But mm. first, we're still going to talk about 
uh, before the WTA final. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the conditions. Okay. So everybody on the WTA had complaints because they were not able to practice on the main court in Cancun. Mm. If you do uh, uh, remember, they were supposed to be playing in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. But then uh, the WTA said, heck, no, we're not playing there. The women decided not to play there. They uh, let Cancun know about two, three months ago. Mm-hmm. It wasn't enough time for them to rebuild the stadium. Mm-hmm. So they were stuck playing at their hotels. Wow. It wasn't even on the main court. A lot of them complained, saying that they couldn't get uh, used to the conditions, blaming the WTA for not allowing Cancun more time to build those courts. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, th- I'm not mad at the WTA here. You know, the political world news and what's happening in the the Eurasia, Middle Eastern, that whole sector, um, it is what it is. You know, I think they made a good pivot. And I think that this isn't a big deal because all of them didn't get the, they're all dealing with tough conditions. It's not some of them dealing with tough conditions. As long as all of them have the same amount of prep time and lack of exposure to that main court, it's level playing field. So as much as it's unideal and maybe we're not going to see the best version of these players on that court, at least no one's showing us their best version. Yes. So everybody complained about it. Rabakina, Sabalenka, every single one of them. Which I get it. We all want to be our best version of ourselves out there. But at least you know your opponent isn't either. And you should be able to find solace in that. The only one that didn't complain was Iga. Hmm. And it's funny to me that uh, leading up to these uh, subjects, we're going to show that although she's not the number one player, they're still... uh, it's as if she still is. Mm. So today, after beating Coco Goff for the 19,000th time, she's 9-1 against uh, uh, daughter Coco. She was asked about the conditions. And just as you just stated right now, she said everybody is playing under those same conditions. Uh, I don't mind. We all need to get accustomed to it. The women, they've all been complaining and one of them pretty much said we need some leadership, more leadership from Iga instead of just being uh, always trying to be uh, the calming presence. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? It's it's interesting to hear people requesting leadership of someone instead of providing their own. I think that's interesting. And also, let's let's be real here. Not every top player and lead player is that presence or person. Um, I, I like to think a lot of like the Bjorn Borgs of the past and stuff like that. Or, you know, the more timid champions like maybe a Del Potro, you know, these people who are not super outspoken, not super, super crazy. They're just humble, hardworking people that happen to be the best. And I think it's, it is what it is when it comes to how they choose to be a leader, you know, I, I don't really expect much more from Iga personally. Excuse me. Yes, um, it's just that she's coming, okay, with, with everything that's been going on with uh, Madrid, Rome, all the complaints, it's as if she's sort of becoming establishment instead mm-hmm. of having a voice on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe she doesn't want to do it at this point in time, mm-hmm. but it would be nice for such a high cal- caliber player to say something and back up the other players, but... That's just my opinion. Yeah. But I do agree as far as, yeah, I mean, you you do have to get 
accustomed to the conditions, everybody's playing in it. Yeah. And now the funny part of the WTA. Mm. So prior to the tournament, as you know, the men always wear uh, tux and they uh, uh, roam around the stadium taking pictures with the trophy and stuff. The women had the same thing. Here, they had an email stating that you're on the beach, you need to wear something nice in white. If you saw the picture, guess who was the only one not doing that? Ega, hmm. Mommy Ega. She ended up wearing a red dress. The star of the show. Yes, with a little bow on the side. And she said, uh, I got the email. I'm not in a wedding. I'm not going to wear white. Uh, I picked this dress a long time ago as soon as I knew that I was going to be in the WTA final. I knew I had to take a picture. They told me about this email a couple of weeks prior. I already bought the dress. It's from a Polish designer. I'm wearing that dress. I'm not going in white. Mm. Then supposedly she says she talked to the other girls and they all said, oh, yeah, we're all going to wear white. It's not a big deal. But she decided not to. What are your thoughts on uh, the leader here? She better win. <laughs> she looks like she's look. I don't. I don't want to crack too many jokes, but look, Iga standing on the beach surrounded by women in white dresses and she's in a bright, bright, red. vibrant red, red dress with a little bow on the it side. It looks like some type of cult. <laughs> it looks a little crazy. So um, if she wins the tournament, I will make this just a fashion statement. If she loses the tournament after doing this, come on, Iga, come on. It's funny, though. This is really funny. And. It's just hilarious to see her standing next to these Amazonian athletic women. And she's the only one. And she's wearing bright red on the beach. Yes. Uh, it's That color just makes it that much more funny. Because it almost looks like some cult-like thing. So, this is funny. I, I look forward to seeing how this plays out. Yes. That that should probably be the... the uh, That's definitely the cover. Yeah, cover, for That's sure. definitely the cover of this episode. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, again she's showing the leadership part so there you go going back tracking to the other subject that we had mentioned but now talking about the tournament itself mm-hmm. uh sabalenka dumped sakari oh and one and as a matter of fact sakari just started crying she said wow. she couldn't find her game i don't know what i'm doing uh she just started bawling never seen that from her before wow uh i guess they could have found another alternate for her but uh, yeah that's kind of bad she still has time she still has time what are your thoughts on that um i mean it's just it's very disappointing for someone to be the alternate and then come in and get thumped like that she's been playing well yeah as of late so look out for sabalenka yes and then you got um sabalenka did lose to pagula pagula Mm -hmm. beat rabakina and Sabalenka. Jeez. So she's 2-0 and and the leader of the group. Were you shocked to see the leader of the group? Absolutely. Um, I did not anticipate Pagula doing what she's doing, but I'm happy about it. I'm very happy for her, and I'm happy about it. I did, you couldn't have asked me to predict that, though. There's no way. Especially after that Sabalenka match. Yes. Yeah. So now we've got uh, the, the very last match of that group. It's going to be 2-0 and Pagula versus 0-2 Sakari. And then mm. the important one is going to be 1-1 one one Sabalenka versus 1-1 one one Rabakina. Mm. Uh, who do you got in between uh, Sabalenka and Rabakina? Who do I want to win and who do I predict will win? Who do you predict is going to win? 
Sabalenka. Uh, I'm going Sabalenka there. Um, I do think that she's got a bit more momentum. Um, and I like her at the... I like the way she's playing with these conditions. But I am Team Rabakina. Um, that's why I want to win it. So we'll see what happens. Yes. And now on the other group, you have Iga beat Vodrosova, who was the Wimbledon champion. Mm-hmm. And again, she dumped her daughter. Seven, five, six, oh, or six, one. So she's definitely the leader of that group. Yeah. By far. So <clears throat> out of the other competitors, Ons and uh, Vodrosova. Or Coco, who do you think is going to be the second place there? I'm betting on Coco. Put the house on Coco, in my opinion. Um, Coco mopped the floor with uh, Jabor. Yes. And has she played Vondrasova? That's the next match. That Coco's playing her. Yes. Okay, yeah. So I'm betting on Coco there. And, I mean, if you were to have asked me before this event happened and they were in the same pool, I would have told you first place, Iga, second place, Coco, regardless. Okay. So this pool, to me, is the one that's actually played up to what's predictable. Um, the other pool is the one that is definitely the loaded one. Yes. That's, that's the pit of death. So yes, for sure. Um, that other pool, it's pretty much monsters and soccer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, there that's you what's go. coming down to <laughs> the Titans and soccer for soccer. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I think that's pretty much, it's going to be Rebecca and Sabalenka out of that pool. Most likely. Or I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Pagula. And then we got to figure out between the other two, which one will join her. And then on the flip side, it'll be Coco and Iga. Yes. So agree. So now going on to the men, uh, Goran made a statement about Nadal. If you know, uh, Novak came out talking about Nadal. He said that um, he admits they're not best of friends. They're very good rivals. He hopes that when their careers are done, they're on the beach sipping uh, Djokovic. Djokovic and yeah. Nadal? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, he said that they're not the best of friends, hmm. but he is his biggest rival. Hmm. He said that hopefully when they retire, they'll have margaritas on the beach. Hmm. So going back to what Goran said, Goran said Nadal coming back, he's definitely Djokovic's biggest rival. Hmm. He said it's not Alcaraz, it's not Sinner, Ben Shelton, it's Nadal. He said he's coming back for a reason. And just because he's coming back, he's coming back 100%. If not, he wouldn't come back. Yeah. Do you agree with Goran? 100%. Um, I actually, there's a quote from Nadal. I don't know if you plan to read it earlier or later or not, but uh, Nadal did state officially, I wouldn't be coming back unless I was playing in a tournament to win the whole tournament. I'm coming back with every intention of winning whatever I enter. And that's that's his way of saying, don't feel sorry for me. This isn't a, on a so long tour. This isn't me playing for fun. And he said, look, I don't come out and play just to say bye. I don't play just for fun. I play to win. Uh, I will be back and I'm going to be ready to win that event. That's yes. why I'm coming back. With that being said, you're absolutely or Goran's absolutely right. And I know you feel the same way. For sure. Um, Nadal is the factor. Nadal was winning matches injured. This is the first time we will have ever seen Nadal come back from an extended break where he actually allowed himself to fully recover and heal. I have no doubt in my mind he's going to be a threat. Um, if you if you want me to recollect on the Nadal we, we saw not long ago, no one was touching him but Djokovic. Yeah. Honestly. Um, so this is, this is facts. And this makes draws way more complicated because we're going to see people who've been... The Casper Roods that wander into the semifinals, 
That's not going to happen anymore. Now we have Medvedev, Nadal, Alcaraz, Djokovic. Semifinals are locked. You don't get there without beating a juggernaut. Yes. It's not possible. So that's going to make the slams way more intense. There will be no openings. There's no freebie rolls to the final. You know, because a lot of times it's one side is stacked with two monsters and then one guy kind of just has to play, do his thing and he gets to the final. That won't be an option anymore. You're going to have to beat two phenomenal athletes to win a slam now. That's true. So I look forward to it and I hope that Nadal is as healthy as we all think and he hopes he is. Yes, I hope so as well. You know, sometimes these athletes, they come back and they think they're ready and then something happens. So Exactly. So um, obviously we're going to leave the Alcaraz news to later, but with that news, most likely Nadal is probably mentally more ready then Alcaraz will get on that later. Yeah. But uh, our punchline, so we're going to talk about big uh, upsets. So uh, in Basel, we had Stricker, Dominic Stricker. He mm. beat Rude in Basel. Mm. Uh, uh, his uh, biggest win of his career, 21-year-old. <laughs> now, the reason why I say that is because, uh, obviously, uh, I know your punchline, but the argument here is... Um, uh, Ali Asim has been giving a lot of people their biggest wins of their career. Ceci Pass lately has been giving people their biggest wins of their career. Even Fritz a little bit. Don't do that. Don't do that to Fritz. But Don't do late, that. lately. Okay. But uh, now Rude obviously is just donating those biggest uh, victories of their career. What are your thoughts on that? Rude has been doing this for a while. And I don't want you to act like it's brand new. Rude has been dropping matches to people. I think, I wish somebody had did the statistics for this. Who has given out the most top 10 losses? Like ranked top 10 and lost the most to people not top 10 in the history of tennis. Because Rude is fighting for this record. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like he is dominating this by far. Because he's been top 10 for quite a long time. And he is always losing early to people he shouldn't lose to. Um, yeah, I mean, I hate that people can say they have a top 10 victory. In yes. The, because there should be an asterisk saying, was it rude? Okay. But you are right. You're right about this. Felix this year is the exact same thing. Yes. He really is. And it's, Stefanos as well. Yeah. He's borderline-ish. He, he's had a rough patch with the coaching transition. Right. I'm not a fan of him, but I will give him that. As he's had this rough patch with his team, he's definitely been a shadow of himself. Right. Um, but it's looking like he's fixed that. He's yes. looking a lot more sharp and clean. But Rude has had a rock-solid environment in just losing anyway to people he shouldn't lose to. So Rude, when I, for people who don't know, when I was talking about how you won't just coast to the semifinals anymore... I was referencing Casper Rude. Yes. Um, you're not going to be able to just float into semifinals and gather all those points you've been getting anymore. Now you're going to have to play against great players who can go five sets. Exactly. So, so yeah, Casper Rude. Uh, this isn't a hot take by any means, but I just want to predict that next year he will no longer be a top 10 player. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's my prediction. Yes. And then uh, Fritz lost to Shevchenko. Mm -hmm. uh, number 83 in the world. Yeah. Now, granted, uh, it's the end of the year. Uh, people are getting tired. So it does make sense. But these past couple of tournaments, Fritz has uh, uh, lost to Schwartzman, 
mm-hmm. who's struggling. That's respectable, though. Yes, and and now this guy Shevchenko, who's an eighty-three in the world. So, what are your thoughts on that? Is it is it the fact that it's getting later in the year, people are getting yeah. tired, or is it legit? It's it's later in the year. Fritz, uh, for the record, Fritz had barely beat Purcell right before in two tiebreakers. Then he lost to Shevchenko in three tiebreakers. Yes. Then he goes to Paris and has a walkover, or he, he gives a walkover because he's injured. Yeah, he withdrew. So I think that it's it's fatigue. It's the body breaking down. I genuinely think Fritz needs rest. Yes. I think that's what it was. So I I do not put him anywhere in the universe of the category of Casper Ruud or Felix. I do not do that, and you shouldn't either. <laughs> Fritz is in the top five list for most wins of the year. Um, I have a lot of respect for the way Fritz has played this year. Is he my favorite player? No. Do I love to watch him? Yeah, not really. But I respect him, and I do think that his loss is based off of how long the season has been. And it really reinforces it that he just won a match and then retired from the tournament anyway. So that tells me that this isn't a joke for him. It makes things spicy. I like that. <laughs> yes. So now the champions, uh, Sinner beat uh, Medvedev in Vienna. Mm. And then Ali Asim won Basel for his uh, first tournament win uh, beating Hercotch. Surprising. Yes. Surprising. In a while. As a matter of fact, uh, Ali Asim said, this is one of my biggest uh, trophies, biggest win of my season thus far. And I think it's going to kickstart it. Mm. What are your thoughts on Ali Asim's uh, statement before talking about Sinner? I'm really happy Ali Asim was able to at least find one bright point in his worst year thus far. Um, this has been the biggest letdown year he's had. Um, and I was worried because he was the defending champ, which means he had a lot of points to lose here. Right. Um, so the fact he won and beat a player that he beat multiple players that we we had respect for. Um, his draw was not easy. He beat Shevchenko. He beat um, Holger Runa. He beat Hercotch all in route to this final. So right. this is a respectable tournament win. This isn't a casual walkthrough. And that final was crazy. That was a crazy final. It was two tiebreakers in a row. He pulled both out. And it makes me realize that I think his ideal conditions are those indoor hard courts. I agree. Um, so, yeah, good for him. Very happy about it. And it's funny because I think he's already lost at the Paris Masters. So, <laughs> the momentum is... <laughs> it stopped. Yeah, the momentum stopped pretty quick. Right away. Um, but in in his defense, he drew uh, Pa. So, yes. that's a respectable loss. And uh, Rublev qualified for the Nito ATP finals. Not surprised at all. You have uh, the t- uh, seven and eight are borderline right now, mm-hmm. and it's interchangeable. As a fact, as a matter of fact, right now, Zverev is in as well. Kasper, Rude, Fritz are at the outside looking in. What are your thoughts on Rublev um, making it to the final? Um, I mean, Rublev to me is the... He's what we want Kasparu to be. Rublev is the guy who's top 10 and doesn't just give out wins. He does not just lose to people. Uh, Rublev, if you want to beat him, you've got to play out of your mind to beat him. Or you need to be a top 10 player. Those are the rules to beat Rublev. And the fact that he's at the World Tour Finals makes total sense to me. And I also don't think that he's supposed to win the World Tour Finals. I just think he's supposed to be there. So... I'm happy for him. I think he deserves it. I think his year constitutes it. 
I think he's we we call him the the super quarterfinalist for a reason. He always makes it decently into week two of everything he plays in. So yeah, this is good. I just don't think he's going to win the World Tour Finals. Yes, no, it's great news that he made it for sure with uh, all those quarterfinals. He deserves it. So going to center, uh, he becomes <clears throat> the winningest Italian in one season in uh, 78. There were 54 victories in the season. And mm. now uh, by winning Vienna, Sinner has 55. Mm. Thoughts on that? Uh, I think he's going to break that record again. I think he's going to outdo himself. So Sinner, uh, I think Sinner, we can anticipate him having most of the records for Italian tennis. There's no one. Who's the who's the greatest Italian tennis player prior to Sinner? Well, it's not recently. So I would have to say that it's this uh, guy that held the record in 1978, honestly. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. So expect those records to be broken. Yes, for sure. So now here's an interesting stat. In the Paris uh, Masters, this is the first tournament since the U.S. Open where all top 10 players were in Paris. What are your thoughts on that? Say that again. The ATP, Paris of Masters. Mm -hmm. This is the first time since the U.S. Open where all top 10 players are at that tournament. So it's a pretty loaded tournament. What are your thoughts on that? It's not normally like that? Not all the time because there's always somebody missing. Interesting. You know? Okay. Uh, I mean, that's great. But you know what's funny is this, this reinforces for me why Indian Wells is so special. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like Indian Wells is an event where we see the top 10 show up almost consistently. Yeah. It's almost normal to see all the top 10 come to Indian Wells unless there's an injury. So, But you know what? Part of it is is that at the end of the year, someone's hurt. That's true. Yes. You know, that's usually what it is. So uh, I think it's a great tournament, though. And it is interesting because I don't hear a lot of buzz or discussion about it when this tournament's not happening. It's not something that's a hot topic. So... I, I feel like we talk more, discuss more on smaller tournaments, like they have bigger reputations and people discuss them more than Paris. Yeah. Uh, I wonder why that is. Well, you know, the tournament in China, mm-hmm. uh, Djokovic decided not to go. Mm-hmm. So there's always two, one or two people always missing yeah. from the tournament. So that was pretty big news. Yeah. Uh, now going on to the injuries, now the balls are becoming really serious. Mm. He's Corda. Uh, said this is the first time ever in my tennis career that I've had wrist injuries. And he said it's because of the balls. Mm. Uh Ben Shelton even said my left uh shoulder is killing me because of the balls. So now Djokovic hmm. now Djokovic stated tournaments need to get on board, put the same ball. You can't have one different ball every single tournament. It it, mm. it just messes. It's funky. It doesn't uh put the right uh, name on tennis hmm. you need to protect your athletes so now Djokovic is involved who's part of the PTPA hmm. do you think that tournaments are actually going to listen and have one ball for the tournaments I think it's going to require a bit more protest and the players are going to have to they're going to have to organize I think that's what it's going to take but I think we're on the verge I think we're knocking on the door of something happening I would love to see players come together and just not play certain events anymore until things get fixed. But it'll take time. We'll see if that happens or not. Yes, that's true. It needs to. Yes. And now this is a resurgence of a career for sure. We have Grigor. Mm. 
with a run of his life right now. <sighs> uh, he he beat Alcaraz, Alcaraz in in, in China. Mm-hmm. He said he just out hit me. I couldn't get on the offensive. Mm-hmm. Dimitrov was on the offensive the whole time. He had a massive victory today. Do you think that? Uh, uh, Dimitrov is back and that quote that he used he never left I never left I've been here 15 years and never left do you agree now I agree baby I agree Um, I'm a Dimitrov fan by the way so I love this for him I'm I'm really happy about the way he's performing and playing and Dimitrov is one of those people that makes tennis fun to watch he's a showman he's fluid He's called baby fed for a reason. And we've we've had this discussion. I don't know if we had it on air or not, but I credit him for being the catalyst on why Federer had a comeback. Yes. Um, he's the reason Federer figured out a tactic that worked at the Australian Open and then rode that momentum through the rest of that year. So I think Dimitrov is the real deal. I think he's an amazing player. And I'm not surprised by this. I'm surprised by it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not surprised it was possible. I see. Um, I do think he had this within him. I do think it came out of nowhere. Oh, for sure. So I love this. I'm I'm all about it. He took on Medvedev in his next round, which if you're listening, this might have already happened. But his next match is against Bublik, and Bublik is having a great year, too. Exactly. So that's going to be a fun match to watch. Yeah, Dimitrov's definitely more offensive-minded now. He used to slice a lot mm-hmm. on the backhand wing. He's starting to drive now. His mm-hmm. forehand, anytime he's uh, finding a space to drive, he's driving. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's exciting to watch, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so now we're going to talk about poor uh, Murray. He lost mm-hmm. to uh, Diminor. Murray. And Diminor, as we spoke about a couple of uh, episodes ago, just has this guy's number. I hate to see it. He had match points, uh, Murray. He and, was. And he should have won. It. Yes. What are your thoughts? <sighs> it's got to be mental at this point. That's all I can say. Um, shout out to Diminor, who I am a fan of, but you should not have won this match. <laughs> There's no way. You faced multiple match points. And you turned it around and won. So, shout out to him. But I do feel bad for Murray. I do. Yes, for sure. So, now talking about Medvedev. So, in the final against uh, Sinner, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, Medvedev, the ball was hit into the wall. So, he got a forehand winner. Then the ball bounced off of the wall. Then Medvedev popped it off of the wall and hit a spectator. Mm. He did not get thrown out of the tournament. Hmm. Djokovic was quick to respond hmm. and say, uh, you guys threw me out. Uh, Medvedev uh, on the press conference said, "It was you can tell it was accidental. It wasn't as if I threw it at, at this person out of anger. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with Djokovic to say, you hit a person, you're out, regardless of how you hit the person? That's what happened to Djokovic, so... I understand where Djokovic is coming from 1,000%. And I also understand why anyone would have been upset that it happened to Djokovic. I would understand if you were. But I do agree. They did the same thing to Djokovic, and they kicked him out. Yes. Um, So it is what it is. I, I can definitely theorize that maybe there's some... Some Djokovic hate from the infrastructure of the game we call tennis. 
um, maybe they don't want to see him in some slams and they don't mind seeing Medvedev there. Yes. That's what it seems like to me. That's me being a conspiracy theorist. But I think that if your name's Djokovic and there's a reason to kick you out in an event, they're going to get you out of there. Oh, for sure. Um, and if your name's Medvedev, they're probably going to go, we like him. <laughs> yeah, keep him around. Yeah, so uh, on Djokovic, uh, him and Kekmanovic withdrew from the doubles uh, tournament last minute. But the that's not a big story. This is actually a big story. Kekmanovic said that Djokovic has been helping him financially uh, during his run as a pro. He's thanking him. He says that without him, he wouldn't be able to be a pro. We talked about this multiple episodes ago now, how the pay is very poor between 150 and 200. Hmm. And he says he thanks Djokovic for aiding him. What are your thoughts? Uh, I like it. I, I love to see Djokovic get in love. Um, I like to see... I'm, I'm not, how do you feel as a as a non-Djokovic lover? Well, it is his countryman, so that's cool. Uh, he is uh, trying to give uh, the prize money in the lower part of the tournaments to where if they qualify to the a slam, they get a big payday. Mm-hmm. So he is really doing that. I'll give, I'll give him that for sure. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's really the voice of that is a very appreciative and cool for sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think he he gets it in some facet. You know, he's doing some of the right things. Yes. So now more trouble with the Zverev. So now this is separate to the case that he had been uh, sued for. Mm-hmm. So now another person is coming out saying that. He, she was abused by Zverev. Hmm. So this is the second person now. Uh-oh. And although he's doing very well on court, he's struggling off court right now with some uh, issues. Way to compartmentalize, buddy. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, very interesting. You know, once is a one-off, twice is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. <laughs> so he's got, one. he's got one more time before we go, all right, Zverev, um... Who are you exactly? And what's wrong with you? Um, I, I do want to reference that this is the same guy who smashed his racket into the umpire chair repeatedly. Yes. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a side in we don't know about. Um, I'd like to hope there isn't. And I would like to think he's a good guy. But the Me Too, he's, he's the tennis Bill Cosby, you know? <laughs> and... It's all it's going to take is one more claim. That's it. So, Zverev, you're, you're on thin ice, buddy. Yeah, he keeps on uh, saying his innocence, but we'll see when they go to court for sure. Yeah. So now this is a pretty big return. We have a surf bot back. Uh-oh. Uh, Riley Opelka, after 15 months of being out, uh, won his challenger, first uh, challenger's match against Tennis Sangren, another American. Nice. He beat him 6-4-7-5 at the Charlottesville Challenger. First match in 15 months. Wow. Uh, maybe Venus's boy toy or not. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts on Riley Opelka being back? Very happy to see it. He'll be back in no time. If there's someone who's going to win their their challenger matches, it's a serve bot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, he's been posting a lot of his rehab process and doing sprints and he does these funny videos where he shows you him standing perfectly still and then he just turns around and explodes and runs as fast as he can 
and these videos are hilarious to me, <laughs> but they are showing that he's healthy, he's fit, he's running fast, he's moving well, and obviously he's a serve bot. So expect to see Riley Opelka break into the top 25 next year. That's my prediction. Yeah, especially if he stays healthy. Yeah. Uh, he's a better, to me, he's a better mover than Isner. Absolutely. He returns better than Isner. Hmm. So if, if he has that big serve, big weaponry, he'll definitely be in the top 20 for sure. Yeah. So now the big news is Carlos Alcaraz. But before, let's just pretend we don't know okay. what happened. Okay. So prior to the Paris Masters, Uh-oh. he said... This is Alcaraz. You're covering this part. That's funny. Yes. Go ahead. If Novak plays the semis, I'm playing determined to play the final. Hmm. If, if he's in one round, I want to be around above it. Hmm. If I'm in the final against him, I'm trying to win the tournament. Hmm. What are your thoughts on Alcaraz? He wants to be the world year in number one. That's what he wants. And I love that he said, if he wins the first round, I'll make sure I make the second round. If he's in the final, I'm going to beat him there. <laughs> These are very, very ambitious things to say before an event. Yes. Because we know the nature of sports and what can happen. That's why you don't hear the fetters and the dolls of the world saying, when they or Djokovic for that matter, when they ask them, like, how do you think this tournament is going to go? How do you feel? They go, I'm taking it one match at a time. And that's what they say. Yes. That's what they always say. I'm going to focus on the match that's right in front of me. Alcaraz said, nope, I'm thinking about the final if I have to. <laughs> no, so uh, I love the optimism, but I don't know if it's the healthiest mindset. Yes. So now we're going to get to what happened. So he had a first round bye and then loses in the second round to a qualifier. He had to qualify mm. to make the Paris Masters. This is his biggest win in his career. Okay, Casper. But, but, um, Excuse me, but uh, he's 39 in the world, mm-hmm. but he's had pretty big victories this year. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, uh, Roman Sofflin made a quarterfinal run at Wimbledon. Hmm. So it's not as if it's a, it's not a pushover. It's not as if it's a, I don't know if you want to consider it a big, big upset like the Chef Sanko with Fritz. Mm-hmm. So this guy has actually made some noise. Yeah, he has. Uh, do you consider it a big upset because it's Carlos Alcaraz? I consider it a big upset because of who lost and also because of the way his pre-tournament press conference went. Um, When you talk that kind of talk and you don't back it up, that is an upset to me. You know, um, it doesn't matter who he played. He talked as if no one else in the event mattered and lost immediately. (laughs) You know, so that's an upset. And I hope it's it's a learning lesson. Yes. And now just to cover more stats on that, match he had a 9.3 forehand uh out of 10 the 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 tour average is about 7.8 what are your thoughts on that performance right there yeah that's that's an incredible performance and arcada said in his press conference the guy played out of his mind and i'm not so he, he said i'm not surprised at how great he played he has had big wins this year yes so and now the big big news mm-hmm. he said I am not built for this part of the year. I need to change what I'm doing. Last year I faded. This year I'm fading. Uh, I just don't have what it takes to compete in this part of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
What are your thoughts on him saying that? I think it's a combination of things. So Alcaraz is upset with the way he's playing in the fourth quarter of the year, but he needs to take into account a few things. Load management is one. You have been giving your heart every tournament you played in since the year started. That's issue number one. Issue number two, you're playing on faster events. The fastest tournaments in succession of the year happen at the end of the year. For a player who relies on their movement and athleticism heavily when they play, indoor courts are not your friend. They're going to require you to be faster, anticipate better, move fast or quickly. And I think that that's just more stress on the body and the mind. So I don't think he should beat himself up too hard. But what I do think is he needs to rethink his tactics and his strategy when he plays these events. Because you cannot settle for... I heard him saying in his press conference he lost because he felt like he wasn't moving well. And it was a movement issue. And my response to that is, why are you leaning so heavily on movement when you should be focusing on attacking in first strike tennis when you're in these situations and scenarios? So... I think that there's a little bit of discussion he needs to do with his team. They need to recap and strategize in a different way. He did miss Basel because of a foot injury and a little bit of a back. So I'm not making excuses for him, but that sounds more of a load management issue. Absolutely. That he needs to figure out and prioritize his schedule a little better Mm -hmm. so he can compete in these bigger tournaments at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So he probably should have taken that China uh, break off. Mm-hmm. And wherever Djokovic was, that's probably where he should have aimed to be. Mm-hmm. So he could be fresh for that tournament. He did poorly in China to begin with. Mm-hmm. And now the number one ranking for the end of the year is pretty much out the window. Yeah, it is. So he just needs to learn how to manage it better for sure. So is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I don't think so. Maybe let me go through my notes and let me let me verify that for you. I'm pretty sure I don't have much else, but it's it's been a busy uh busy week and I don't remember all the stuff I write down. Sorry. <laughs> um most match wins without winning a grand slam since 1990. Have we discussed this? I don't think so. Okay. So uh, I do have One interesting statistic that I want to bring up before we close out. This is a list. I'll read it out a little clearer because I was was reading that under my breath. This statistic is players with the most match wins without winning a Grand Slam since 1990. So these are the best of the rest for sure. And I, uh, I do want to have a conversation about this topic with you a little bit before I disclose the list, right? So... To be a player with the most match wins without a Grand Slam, to me, or what what does that mean to you? What kind of players come to mind? Who do you think would suit this category? Why? Like, what are some facts you can give me? Uh, most wins without a Slam. Well, Rublev's uh, quarterfinalist, big weaponries, uh, lacking something, uh-huh. but are always consistently reaching certain points of the tournament consistently. Yeah. Uh, So for me, things that come to mind when I hear this are a lot like what you just said, having everything except something in their game, which means they're extremely consistent and well-rounded, but maybe there's something they don't have. The other thing is, and this is the one I'm I'm thinking you probably will agree deeply with, you shared the era with the big three. 
That's true. Um, which is where all the slams got kind of sucked up by a few people. And maybe you were the best of the rest, as we used to call it, right? Um, I'm going to start off with only these five people, just five. Um, and I'm going to start at number five and tell you how many wins these people got. Do you want to guess any before I say them? Uh, as far as the current generation? From 1990 to now, who do you think has the most wins that didn't win a Grand Slam? Anyone you want to guess before I give the list? Okay, uh, off the top of my head, maybe Todd Martin in that era. Uh, from 90 to now, so it can be anyone who was on the Pro Tour in general who had the most wins, which also means did you have a long career as well? Yeah, is there a, a ranking? Uh, no ranking involved, just total wins. Okay, so Todd Martin would come up to me uh, prior to Nadal and Federer. Man, I can't think of anybody well, it, in that Well, it's era. from 1990 to now. Right. So it could be people who start their career in 2000. Yes. You know, it doesn't matter. Yes, I'm trying to think of uh, the, there's, the times. There's, there's one yes. you should have because you call him the best of the rest. That's what you used to call him when I talked to you about him. Yeah, so uh, Burdage, Ferrer. Okay, I'm going to read the list. Okay. Uh, at number five, the most wins without a slam is Fernando Verdasco with 559 wins. Okay. I can see that. Um, up next, my boy. Sanga? Tommy Haas. Oh, that hurt. 569 wins. So, 10 more than uh, Fernando Verdasco. And this is a guy who was plagued by injuries and reached number two in the world. So, not surprising. Uh, up next, and this one, he's a bit of an anomaly in my opinion. Richard Gasquet, 602 oh, wins. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I completely forgot about him. He's just been around forever. Yeah, since Federer. Um, but here's the thing. He's not super phenomenal. Uh, I think he's got a great backhand and he's very consistent, but he's just not a, he's never to me been super dominant after he reached age 23. Um, he's been very just middle of the line to me. Up next, Tomas Berdish. Yes. 640 wins. Um, definitely the best of the rest. And our last one, the player with the most wins and no slams, David Ferrer. David, David yes. David Ferrer. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's the guy who... That one hurt. Yeah. That guy... He was I a feel, monster. If it weren't for Nadal. Yeah. That's who stopped him. Um, but yeah, shout out to those guys. Verdasco, Haas, Gasquet, Burdich, Ferrer. The best of the rest. Yeah. I don't know why Tommy didn't click in my head because in my mind, he pretty much had it but i know he didn't yeah so it, it, it didn't even come in my head yeah he you're surprised he doesn't have that single slam exactly you are yeah he's that guy yeah uh and ferrer is the guy who should have had a french if it weren't for an adult yeah and i mean this guy has been number two in pete's era mm-hmm. in uh, that better era mm-hmm. prior to nadal yeah so i mean you you think he'd have a slam that's why it didn't even dawn my mind yeah so it's funny to hear but yeah that's uh that's my closing out topic and that's everything i got that's a good one in that case i hope you guys were entertained see you next time atp